What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our rookie running back rankings, our top 10 rookie running back rankings for you guys to prepare yourselves for your rookie drafts. As you guys know, the draft was this past weekend, so we got you know a fresh new batch of information on all these guys. We're going to be ranking them 1 to 10 and you know going in-depth on the top 7 or so, um, those first couple tiers of the running back position. So if you guys enjoy this video at any point, as always, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, and subscribe to the channel if you are new. Danny, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. And I know a lot of you guys, heck, the majority of you guys are either in or finished your rookie drafts and might have a couple coming up. And we've been getting a lot of requests. What are our official top 10 running back rankings? How would we organize this class from a tier standpoint, from a ranking standpoint? And that's what we're here to do, baby. We're going to talk about the talent of these players the opportunity that they have at hand and overall where we'd feel comfortable selecting them in our rookie drafts. Yeah, for sure. So if you guys, like I said, if you enjoy like comment, subscribe, if you want to check out all of our rookie rankings, our running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks for the rookies, you can check that out for the veterans as well. Bucketed rankings by age with the rookies included. That'll be available for you in our dynasty rankings manifesto, which you can get one of two ways, either by signing up on Patreon, which is linked down below in the description or signing up and depositing using promo code FSE at uh, sign up and first deposit on underdog fantasy. You'll get our rookie rankings, uh, dynasty rankings manifesto totally for free as a thank you for doing that. And you'll also get a hundred percent on whatever you put in. So if you put like 10 bucks in on their site, which is all you need to put in, you'll get $20 plus our dynasty rankings manifesto. So if that interests you both link down below in the description, now let's hit the intro. Okay, so you guys should be able to see our rankings on the screen. We have them, you know, color-coded by tiers. The first tier, top tier running back in a tier of his own, the RB1 in fantasy of the rookies is Brees Hall, running back for the New York Jets. Uh, like Danny said, we're going to go over kind of the talent, what we thought of these guys pre-draft, then over their opportunity, where they were drafted, who's, you know, their backfield competition immediately, and then also um, where we would feel comfortable taking them in a rookie draft. So I'll let you take it away with Brees Hall. For sure. So uh, talking about his talent, I mean... To me, to you, to many others coming into this draft, he is the clear-cut running back in this class, or running back one in this class from a fantasy football standpoint. And everything we kind of look for from a measurable standpoint and a production standpoint, he meets in spades. So let's talk about his production, because this is a guy that ranked as a 95th percentile college dominator at the running back position, which, by the way, if you guys don't know what college dominator means, it's basically the percentage of team offensive output that this running back has. He was 95th percentile on, on player profilers database. So extremely, extremely productive from a sheer team output percentage standpoint. 80th percentile college target share. So not only was he doing it on the ground, he was also getting and garnering a lot of targets in that offense over at Iowa State. And he has over a 30 BMI. A lot of you might think, well, what's the importance of him having a 30 BMI? Even though, you know, myself, yourself, many others out there might not view these running backs as, you know, 195 pounder versus a 215 pounder being a difference. But in the eyes of the NFL, they love seeing these guys that are built to withstand a beating. And at 5'11", 217 pounds, Brees Hall is that prototypical build that we see teams really look at. And talking about the athleticism, because I mentioned the production is off the charts here. The athleticism may even be better. We're talking about a 97th percentile 40-yard dash a 98th percentile speed score, and a 94th percentile burst score, 
all elite, elite numbers at the running back position. He just has the full makings to be a full-fledged NFL workhorse from a production standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint. And when you're talking about the opportunity at hand, when Joe Douglas was actually asked post-draft about the selection of Brees Hall, he made it very clear as to how highly regarded Brees Hall was actually on their own personal board. And you guys can see a couple graphics on the screen, but Brees was their 18th overall player. And they also considered moving back up into the first round. Obviously, we know they traded up to 36th overall to jump the Texans to get Brees Hall. But there was actually a report that came out that they were interested in moving up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get a fourth first round selection just to get Brees Hall. I don't want to hear about Michael Carter. If Joe Douglas has this guy as his 18th overall player and is willing to move into the first round to get this guy on his team, he is going to step in immediately to a 300 opportunity workload in the NFL. Not to mention, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't even turned 21 yet. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty tough to say that, like, because we both like Michael Carter. Michael Carter's a good complimentary back. He probably could have been a feature back in an NFL offense. But by feature back, I mean, you know, 60% opportunity share. We have a full-fledged workhorse from, you know, college football, Iowa State. Brees Hall was a complete workhorse there. The draft capital, the, um, you know, investment that New York has kind of put onto him. At this point, he's a much better prospect than Michael Carter was, should be a much better pro than Michael Carter is currently too. So I think people are kind of overthinking that Michael Carter is going to be, you know, some huge factor in this backfield. Is he going to be, you know, an 85, 90% opportunity share running back? No, because only Najee Harris basically is in the NFL. Brees Hall is probably going to be a 60, 70, maybe 75% opportunity share guy. And that's just fine. It'll mean that Michael Carter is still getting, you know, five to 10 touches a game, which is what I think is probably going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. So overall, I mean, if you're talking about the guy that has a workhorse profile from college, it's selected with draft capital that would indicate workhorse volume. Why are we detracting that he's going to be anything other than a workhorse? So in terms of his ADP, in terms of where we would feel comfortable taking him, I mean, to me, to you, to a lot of people on Dynasty Twitter, this is the clear cut 101 this year. Yeah, and uh, talking about the situation too, this is an ascending offense with a quarterback that we both believe in can take a step forward. They drafted a wide receiver at 10th overall. They already have Elijah Moore, Corey Davis as their wide receiver two and three, and they made additions to their offensive line. Lakin Tomlinson in the offseason, hopefully Makai Becton, who didn't play at all last year, by the way, is back on the field. Uh, they have George Fan at left tackle. They have Elijah Vera Tucker in his second year, who they took in the first round. This offense is ascending. This offensive line is ascending. And they've made investments to make sure that Zach Wilson has everything at his disposal to take that next step at quarterback. And Brees Hall is going to be a big part of that. He's my clear one-on-one. Uh, there's a tear break for me after Brees Hall. As much as I love you know, Drake London, who is my wide receiver one and my 102, I would still say that there's a pretty big tear break between Brees Hall and Drake London. Probably about a, a round to two rounds of startup ADP. Yeah, maybe more. I mean, in most startups we're doing, we're seeing Brees Hall as a mid to late second round pick. I'm assuming Drake London, given the draft capital, given the profile, as you guys will hear tomorrow, is probably going to figure around that fourth to fifth round ADP, which, I mean, I love Drake London, but give me Brees Hall all day, every day at 101. Yeah, we're talking about a top six running back versus a top 15 to top 20 wide receiver. So it is a pretty big difference for us. So we're not talking about wide receivers yet. Tomorrow we'll get into those, but we have our RB2, who is also in a tier of his own for both of us in Kenneth Walker, running back from the Seattle Seahawks. He's the best, like from a talent perspective, he was the best pure runner in this class, even better than Brees Hall, because really the only knocks that we had on Brees Hall pre-draft were that maybe he's a little bit too patient sometimes, gets a little bit hesitant, not the greatest through contact that we've seen in the world. So most of his stuff was tape related rather than, you know, production profile or athleticism. 
with Kenneth Walker, the biggest you know knock we had on him, obviously, was the fact that he didn't have a lot of receiving production. But as a runner, 92nd percentile yards created, breakaway speed for days, also ran in the four threes, and the best guy on film at creating explosive plays as well. 11.45% of his runs went for 15 plus yards, which was the most of any running back in this class with at least 150 carries. So when you talk about the opportunity, could he have gone to a better team with less backfield competition like the Houston Texans or the Atlanta Falcons or you know the Buffalo Bills, whoever you wanted Kenneth Walker to go to? Yeah, he definitely could have went to a better landing spot, but there's a couple ways that this can play out in, in real life and in his rookie season. Number one, Kenneth Walker being the 41st pick in the NFL draft, the top 50 NFL draft pick, is eventually the starter by week four, week five, week six, like we've seen time and time again with these rookie running backs. And he garners 60 to 70% of the workload in the Seahawks backfield. And granted, it's not a great offense, but we see that ability that we saw at Michigan State. Number two, the other way that this could play out, which in my opinion is the worst case scenario for Kenneth Walker, him and Rashad Penny split work down the middle. Like we saw with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon this year, it becomes a headache for fantasy uh, for Kenneth Walker's rookie season. But come year two, Kenneth Walker ascends in dynasty value. And at the very least, you have a big time selling window if you don't believe in him long-term. And he should have the lead role as early as 2023. So a decent rebuilding piece. Rashad Penny is on a rookie, is on a one-year deal. And not only that, it's Rashad Penny. He could always get hurt and Kenneth Walker could be a league winner in his rookie season. Am I taking Walker 101 over Brees Hall like some people might be doing? Absolutely not. If you view Kenneth Walker as the better player, like we talked about in yesterday's video, trade down from the 101 and take Kenneth Walker 102, 103, wherever you value him. And even though he might have been your 101, you still get that extra you know, piece or whatever for moving down. Because I didn't view him as the same level of prospect as Brees Hall, but I am comfortable taking Kenneth Walker as a top five guy, despite the bad landing spot, quote unquote. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you outlined this. Uh, our rank would be you know anywhere between 102 and 105. I generally view Kenneth Walker and those three receivers as being in that next tier after Brees Hall. So if you want to take him 102, go ahead. If you want to take him 105, go right ahead. I feel like all those guys, you know, pick your poison. You're fine with any of them. I'm glad you mentioned that with Kenneth Walker because, I mean, the main detractor of his profile would be that receiving volume. Like if this was a guy who had, you know, 40, 50 reception, like clear day one type of NFL upside, like this would be probably a two-headed horse at the top of the NFL draft in terms of where we would value them from a fantasy perspective. But listen, in fantasy football, you need to have reception upside. That's why he's not going to rank amongst the Brees Hall. He's more so going to rank, you know, amongst the Nick Chubbs of the world. Now, am I saying that he could never develop into a plus receiver? No, he's super elusive. He's super good after the catch. And he is, as we mentioned, the best player uh, as a runner in this class. That can translate in space as a receiver. It just depends on how he's used at the next level. So when we're talking about Walker, he's currently in that high-end RB2 range for me in terms of my dynasty rankings. So yeah, I'm comfortable with taking him in a top five pick in this rookie draft. Yeah, he ranks among like Travis Etienne types and you know um, Antonio Gibson now that they've added a running back to that backfield. That's about the range as far as the veterans that he ranks for us. So let's get on to the third running back, uh, a guy that you know saw his stock really climb. And I, I would say before the draft, we talked about this already. Once you get after those top two guys, it really it was whoever you had RB3, RB4, RB5, it would change regardless of who you asked. Like it would, there was a huge tier of like six or seven guys that people would like to say, hey, this is RB3 in the class. This is RB4 in the class. This is RB5 in the class. So the guys uh, that we talked about before the draft, it really all depended on where they got drafted and who they got drafted to. So our RB3 is probably the guy that benefited most from those two factors. 
Yeah, and uh, our RB3 in, in this 2022 NFL draft would be James Cook running back from the Buffalo Bills. And although not the most productive runner in college, was very efficient on the touches he did get. He was 66th percentile on Graham Barfield's yards created metric. He ranked third in the class in terms of his receiving ability, third in the class in terms of yards per route run, also ranking seventh in the class in targets per route run. Again, he's a solid, although slight runner that was really victimized by a Georgia offense that, as we know, is very notorious for keeping a timeshare running back. And the biggest example we can see is when they had, you know, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, and Sony Michelle all on the same college team back in 2018. He severely outperformed his counterpart in Zamir White in terms of efficiency basis. It was not even close. For reference, James Cook was 66th, 66th percentile in yards created. Samir White was zeroth. He was the worst charted yards created player in Graham Barfield's database, despite playing in the same offense as James Cook. So he is clearly a superior talent, in my opinion, in your opinion, than Zamir White, his counterpart. But the main allure here is the opportunity. Second round, 63rd overall draft capital is nothing to sneeze at. Combine that with the fact that you're getting a value insulated situation playing with Josh Allen and playing in one of the top offenses in the NFL in Buffalo, it's really easy to see why we like Cook. This is a player that should contribute right away in the passing game, and our comp is basically a boosted version in terms of what he could do on the ground game to what we've seen from J.D. McKissick in the NFL. I think he could be a better version of J.D. McKissick in a more high-powered offense. This is a guy that can legitimately see 80-plus targets once he hits the NFL, and GM Brandon Bean, after the draft, when he actually took James Cook, he said, we see his best skill set as a sub back, but I think he can handle carries too if we want him to give him some, some more carries. We really like the skill set, and he basically compared him to J.D. McKissick, who, if you guys remember, the Bills tried to sign. The Bills do not currently have a plus receiving running back entering that draft on the roster. People want to say Devin Singletary, but although he's you know the size of a guy that should be good in the receiving game, he is very, very bad as a receiver. And let's not even mention Zach Moss. James Cook should immediately step in into that third down role and could potentially see some snaps in the slot, could potentially see some snaps with creative, schemed opportunity for him to get the ball in space. This is a very, very electric running back, and the 63rd overall draft capital alone is enough insulation for me to take an early to mid second round dart throw on this guy. Yeah, and that's the key, right? You said early to mid second round dart throw on the guy. So the reason he's not like a locked and loaded first round pick because peripherals wise, second round running back to the Buffalo Bills is obviously very good. It's because James Cook is really small, right? He's listed at 199 pounds, but I don't think he played at that size. I think he played around 190, 195 at Georgia. So that's going to raise some concerns. Legitimately, there has not been a running back outside of Danny Woodhead and Austin Eckler who have finished as an RB1 since 2013. And you have to look at those guys who are, are smaller and see why they finished as RB1s. They had like 110, 115 targets in those seasons. And that's tough to say that James Cook is going to get that, even as good of a receiver as he is, because we have a mobile quarterback in Josh Allen. We have some other target competition. But like you said, he should be able to get, at the very least, 80 to 90% of the backfield targets. The Buffalo Bills running backs were 32nd in backfield efficiency as receivers. Devin Singletary, like you said, is not a good receiver, so I don't have any concerns about James Cook's ability to 
supplant him as the primary receiving back. The question we have is how many carries is this guy going to get? Is he going to get goal line work? Is that going to be Josh Allen? Is that going to be, you know, Zach Moss or Devin Singletary? We really don't know what the split is going to be like at this point. But what we do know is that it's a second round running back who's a great receiver going to the Buffalo Bills. And that's definitely worth an early to mid second round pick. But I'm not going to go crazy and take this guy over, you know, Jahan Dotson, who is a 16th overall receiver or anybody in that realm because he does present some risk. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned that. The receivers, I mean, I wouldn't recommend taking over a guy like, as you mentioned, Jahan Dotson, David Bell, potentially a George Pickens, Christian Watson. Those are all guys I would take over James Cook. But as much as I love John Metch, as, as much as I like Wandale Robinson, once we get into that range where there's more questionable fits long-term from an NFL perspective at those wide receivers, that's when I'm willing to take a guy like James Cook. So as you mentioned, he's currently my 14th overall player. Our consensus 13 and a half. So you obviously have him at 13. Yeah, early second round, go nuts. But do not take him over top 50 elite upside level wide receivers. As soon as the one-two turn hits and, and David Bell and Christian Watson are off the board, that's when I turn to look at some of these running backs. And James Cook is the first guy that I'm looking at. So we actually have a tie for fourth at running back. I have Tyler Algier running back from the Atlanta Falcons, and you have Damian Pierce running back from the Houston Texans. So the, the case is pretty simple for both guys, but let's start with Algier. The talent was pretty simple for me. I had him as my fourth rated running back coming into the class. He was a, a third round talent, in my opinion. I don't think he should have gone in the fifth round. He has great size, five foot 10, 224 pounds, smart, tough, physical, great through contact. And he's also very solid on third down. 77th percentile college target share and the highest pass blocking efficiency of any running back in this class. 100%, meaning he did not allow a sack or a pressure to his college quarterbacks. And he played with a guy like Zach Wilson. So that's really important as a guy that had a, a highly regarded college quarterback. He was able to protect his dude, the highest pass blocking efficiency in the class, like I mentioned. We also know historically that guys who can handle a big workload in college typically can handle a big workload in the NFL. You kind of brought up the BMI fact. Five foot 10, 224 is, is big boy horrific for that size. Algier handled 275 carries in his final season at BYU and over 300 touches in 2021. So from a prospect perspective, I think this was a guy that should have went higher in the NFL draft. Opportunity-wise, when you get to the landing spot that he went to, probably the most ideal landing spot he could have gone to, in my opinion. Arthur Smith is used to feeding a big back carries in the in the, uh, in the the run game, and they just cut Mike Davis to, uh, yesterday. So Mike Davis was their pseudo, you know, early down ball carrier who has similar skill set. He's a, a big back who can contribute on third down as well. And it would have been better if Tyler Algier went third round to the Atlanta Falcons, of course, instead of round five where he actually went. But I love the fit, and the opportunity is wide open. It's just him and Cordero Patterson there in that backfield. And we all know Cordero Patterson is more of like a gadget guy, going to get you know pass-catching work and used in the slot and all that kind of stuff. So I am loving getting Tyler Algier anywhere around the mid-second round. Again, even though I love the guy, I loved him pre-draft, he's still a fifth-round running back, so I'm not going to take him over you know, some of the the top receivers like George Pickens, who got second round capital and, you know, James Cook, who got higher capital than him and some of those guys. So he's our consensus 16th overall right now. We both have him. I believe I have him at 15. You have him at 17. And then I have Damian Pierce at 16 and you have him at 16. So it's it's basically we have both of these guys tied for our consensus 16. Yeah, no. And I agree. I mean, Algier, uh, from a peripheral standpoint, I mean, obviously we were very high on the talent coming into the draft. You kind of outlined that kind of outlined too, that he does have that prototypical NFL size that Arthur Smith looks for in that lead back role. We don't like to create narratives, but when a guy like Arthur Smith has shown time and time again, that he likes his main 
carrier of the ball to be a bigger back. They were kind of forced into a situation last year where they had to use Cordero Patterson in that regard. But we've seen prior to that that these 5'10", 225-pound, obviously, I mean, Derrick Henry's the main comp there, 6'3", 250, but these bigger backs to carry that load is what Arthur Smith idealizes. The main problem, I will I will say, that I have with Algier and why I would have him lower ranked than Damian Pierce would be the potential receiving output that he can see this year because I don't think that they're going to completely phase out Cordero Patterson. I think he's still going to be heavily involved in this offense. So if you're talking about a potential third down role, reception slash target type of role, I don't necessarily know if I see as much predictable upside in that regard as I would do with you know Pierce and Houston with obviously that backfield being wide open. The one thing I will say to that is that Mike Davis had 58 targets last year, even despite Cordero Patterson being there. And it's not like they have a whole lot of receiving talent to throw the ball to either. For sure. Right. It's Drake London and it's Kyle Pitts pretty much. So I I, I still think even if, you know, Cordero Patterson is, and he's going to be the primary receiving back on that team, I still think we can talk about 50, 60 targets for Tyler Algier. Yep. Uh, more, more, more than uh, which would more than suffice. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I do like Algier, but that would be the tiebreaker, if you will, between uh, Algier and the next guy we actually have on this list, and Damian Pierce, obviously getting drafted fourth round draft capital to the Houston Texans, and this is the perfect tape versus analytics, darling, if you will, because the analytics bros are going to hate him. He's old, and he was not productive at all in college. But when we contextualize the situation, when we understand exactly how good he was despite a limited sample size at Florida, we realize that this guy can make people miss. Second in PFF elusiveness rating at 138, 39% of tackles avoided per carry, meaning that on 39% of his carries, he was avoiding a tackle. And a 37% tackles avoided per reception rate, all top in the class apart from the PFF rating where he was second. This is a guy that can flat out make people miss. Pro, a more prototypical size than, you know, a guy like James Cook, about 5'11", 218, similar size to a guy like Tyler Algier. The main difference I would hear, uh, I have here is, although he wasn't as productive in college from a sheer volume perspective, he does have that receiving workload available to him. So, I mean, if we're talking about it, I mean, let's just look at the Texans depth chart right now. And I know we don't like to do this because we don't like projecting, you know, Oh, he's going to get this role. But if we're straight shooting for upside, we're talking about a depth chart headlined by Rex Burkhead, Marlon Mack, who came off a torn Achilles two years ago and was used barely any last year behind Jonathan Taylor, and Dari Agumbawale, Tampa Bay great. Like Algier, again, he's more of a short-term play. We didn't mention him with Algier, but the main difference between an Algier and a Pierce versus a Cook is that Cook has long-term projectability in terms of value insulation, which is why we prefer him at three. But in terms of like a short-term investment that you can get a bang for your buck at the early to mid-second round, I mean, think the Michael Carter dilemma. Bad draft capital, but plenty of opportunity to produce year one. That is what I see from both Pierce and Algier. The tiebreaker obviously being a potential receiving upgrade over Algier that I see with Pierce. Right. The one thing I will say in defense of Algier and kind of a negative towards Pierce is even though like Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead aren't anything special. I mean, if you looked at the Falcons depth chart of pure running backs, not Very just true. like if you exclude Cordero Patterson, sure. it's really, really bad, especially with Mike Davis down. So like we More. said, th- these two guys are are guys that you want to invest in this year. If you're a contender, especially, and you need some running back two, running back three production, and maybe you flip them this time next year. As much as I love Algier and as much as I loved him pre-draft, I'm probably going to be selling him next year after this if he year. has Absolutely. a 240 carry season or something. 
Yep. No, absolutely agree. I more so meant that in regards to potential log jam at the receiving back role, if you will, obviously with Cordell Patterson versus no Cordell Patterson, which is what Pierce is dealing with. But at the end of the day, I mean, mid second round for either of these guys, mid to late second round, both appropriate, both good dart throws. And both, in my opinion, I actually have a tier above these three to five range, a tier above that six, seven range, simply due to short-term projection with these two and then long-term projection with James Cook with that Bill's offense. Yeah, exactly. So these two guys, to me, you know, stand a little bit ahead of the other guys, but I do actually have six and seven in the same tier because they have a little bit more long-term appeal and they might have, you know, depending on who you ask, might have been better prospects as well. So let's get into the next guy, which is uh, number six, Isaiah Spiller, running back for the Los Angeles Chargers. From a talent perspective, I mean, I don't know who you want to ask on (laughs) Isaiah Spiller's talent because you're going to get a different answer from every person that you ask. There's a lot of questions in this area, but for the most part, for us, we we thought Isaiah Spiller was one of the best running backs in this class. Graham Barfield only had him as a third percentile in yards created, so he wasn't very high on him. I know a lot of people that looked at, you know, box-adjusted efficiency stats and efficiency relative to his teammates didn't like him either. But again, boomer bust prospect, to say the least, from a talent perspective. The opportunity, however, it's obviously not ideal that he went round four as opposed to round two or three like we expected him to go, but it is ideal that he went to a super high-powered offense pioneered by Justin Herbert, who's one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Isaiah Spiller, in my opinion, should get the pseudo Josh Kelly role. And I know that hasn't been a fruitful role for fantasy for the longest time since Melvin Gordon has left, but they also haven't had a guy to do that. Austin Eckler, they don't probably want to give him, you know, 15, 20 carries a game. They want to give him eight to 10 carries, let him make his money in the receiving game. I view Isaiah Spiller from a redraft perspective as similar to like a a Latavius Murray type. He's going to have some standalone value as like an RB3-4 type, but if anything happens to Austin Eckler, he should be great, again, attached to a very high-powered offense where he could get a big workload. But here's the biggest problem for Isaiah Spiller, which is why I have him behind the other two guys. His crowning trait, in my opinion, the reason that I, I still liked him as a top three running back in this class was receiving ability. And he went to an offense led by the best receiving back in the NFL, not named Christian McCaffrey. So the receiving production is probably not going to be there for Isaiah Spiller. They're probably going to use him as like a grinder in the offense and let Austin Eckler get the majority of the receiving work, which is not good for, for Isaiah Spiller. Because like I said, a lot of people that didn't like Isaiah Spiller questioned his ability to run the ball consistently. And long-term, like I said, maybe he replaces Austin Eckler two, three years down the line. But relying on a fourth-round draft capital running back to do that is never a smart idea, in my opinion. So I like Spiller in the mid-second round of rookie drafts, but I'm not going to go crazy and take him in the late first round or anything like that. He is currently our consensus 18 and a half, and I would rather have John Mechie and Wandell Robinson, maybe even Jalen Tolbert and Alec Pierce, if you guys like those receivers better, because I do think there's a lot of risk with Isaiah Spiller. As much as I like the situation as as the offense that he plays in, the draft capital, the role that he's probably going to be expected to play is a little sketchy. Yeah, no, I I agree with this. Uh, It is sketchy because, I mean, in general, trying to project that, I mean, you would have wanted to see an opportunity for Spiller to at least have a receiving role year one. Like maybe, you know... Even if it was in freaking like Tennessee, as long as he had an opportunity to get some third down usage, that's all we were really looking for. And landing with the Chargers, like, yeah, it's going to be ideal. You're going to have scoring opportunities. It's going to be a very, very high-powered offense. But like Austin Eckler, as you mentioned, is at worst a top three receiving running back in the NFL. If you want to put Kamara ahead of him, if you want to put Christian McCaffrey ahead of him, if you want to jangle that order, whatever order that you would like them, go right ahead. But Eckler is not going to seed receiving work year one so if you're talking about spiller this is a bigger projection which is why i have him a tear down from an algier appears in the uh, in the james cook because 
He doesn't have the immediacy of those latter two guys, nor the long-term insulation in terms of draft capital the way James Cook does. So overall, again, I don't mind stabbing at him because I do like, or I did like the player pre-draft, and he still has an opportunity, especially if Eckler, you know, missed a couple games, which he's shown to be susceptible uh, to in the past couple years. Spiller has every opportunity to be, at worst, an Alexander Madison type. Yeah, exactly. I think high-level handcuff with some standalone value is how we should be treating Isaiah Spiller. To say he's the heir apparent to Austin Eckler, I think, is a little bit close-minded because we're yep. talking about a fourth-round running back, right? We're not talking about a guy that was picked in the second round because if he was picked in the second round, I'd probably have that view as well. He's the long-term heir apparent to Austin Eckler, but fourth-round draft capital, if let's say Austin Eckler is banged up this year and they cut bait with him or something like that, is that going to stop them from drafting another running back in the first or second round or the third round even potentially next year? I don't think so. I think Isaiah Spiller, at the very least, is probably going to have some backfield competition if anything were to happen to Austin Eckler in the next two to three years from a contract perspective. So I think he might be a little overrated by the fantasy community right now. As much as we kind of liked him before the draft, I don't think this was an ideal landing spot and the fourth round draft capital doesn't help that fact either. So let's get into the final guy that I view kind of in this tier with Isaiah Spiller and uh, some of the other guys. Rashad White, running back from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Talent perspective, I think he was a little overrated as a prospect. I think a lot of people saw the size and the peripherals and got carried away a little bit and didn't actually watch the tape, quote unquote, and see that this guy probably isn't an NFL caliber runner of the football. But the peripherals, like I said, were great. 90 plus percentile, relative athletic score, good size, six foot, 215 pounds, great receiving profile, 98th percentile college target share. And when you watched him catch the ball on film, he was a phenomenal receiver. Third round draft capital, 91st overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that, you know, checks one box for sure. But the opportunity is what I have a problem with. In year one, people are going to see Rashad White to Tampa Bay and go, oh my God, it's Tampa Bay's, you know, receiving back. Tom Brady's receiving back has always been great for fantasy. But in year one, it's not like Leonard Fournette is incapable of catching the ball. So he's going to have receiving competition from that perspective. Fournette was a workhorse last year, like 70, 80% of the opportunities. Maybe Rashad White can carve out the role that they may have had in mind for Gio Bernard before he got injured. But the issue is that Rashad White, his long-term value is really you know heavily affected but by what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in as a position of winning right now, right? Tom Brady is probably not going to be there you know, two, three years down the line. This is probably his last year in the NFL. He actually retired this offseason and then came back. And Leonard Fournette is also on a three-year contract with two the first two years where he has guaranteed money. So with Rashad White, yes, he could be, in theory, the heir apparent to Leonard Fournette playing in an offense with Tom Brady, but that only happens if Leonard Fournette gets cut after this year and Tom Brady plays another two to three years in the NFL. So I think the peripherals are, like, not the peripherals of the, the player, but the peripherals of the situation might be a little bit overrated for Rashad White. This is a guy that I have as, again, a mid to late second rounder consensus 19th overall, but I consistently see this guy go at the top of the second, like 201, 202. Yeah, too early for me. I mean, I think he's a fine player, and you kind of mentioned he was a little bit overrated as a prospect, but the peripherals are there. You do want to see a guy be a very, very plus athlete the way, um, as as we mentioned, Rashad White is, 90th plus percentile RAS score. And as you mentioned, that receiving profile, I mean, 98th percentile college target share is just absolutely ridiculous. Your main alert here, for the most part, would be that maybe he can carve out a standalone role uh, in the receiving game, which is still a question mark. I mean, we saw Leonard Fournette, as you mentioned, be used tremendously in the past year and a half, you know, about halfway point of lot or two years ago and then fully last year in the receiving role. I mean, we're talking about a guy that what had 65, 70 receptions in your guys' backfield. 
I had to look it up exactly how many targets he had, but he was running all the routes. He was, you know, on the field for all the third down plays. Like he's legit. Like, and I don't know if that's why they drafted Rashad White because they don't want him. Perhaps it's definitely possible. In which case, this probably hurts Leonard Fournette's uh, redraft value and stuff like that. But I still think he's going to be involved. He had 84 targets last year in 14 games. Like that's that's a lot of receiving work. Yeah, no, ridiculous. So, I mean, maybe he carves out a role there because, as you mentioned, maybe they want to cut down on that role from Leonard Fournette and keep him as in more of a banger, short yardage type of role. But at the very minimum, from a bull perspective of Rashad White, is that you're getting, I think, probably, you know, Alex Madison. Plus, obviously, with Isaiah Spiller, you're getting a more surefire role this year. But I feel like if Leonard Fournette went down, Rashad White, from a redraft, from a best ball perspective, would be set to absolutely boom. Yeah, he's like a better version of what we saw from Chuba Hubbard as a as a yes. prospect last Great. year. Because we knew Great Chuba comment. Hubbard's role is he's Christian McCaffrey's handcuff. Like, that's what all we thought. I think that's what we need to think about Rashad White, is that he's Leonard Fournette's handcuff. Yes, he could have a receiving role, but, you know, it's not guaranteed. And like I said, the, the Tom Brady's offense type of thing doesn't really apply to any season other than this year, for sure. Maybe he's back you know, in 2023, but I, I would say confidently that you should only count on Tom Brady being the the quarterback in Tampa Bay this season. We do have him ranked as our 19th overall consensus player. So if you want to throw, you know, a late two or on this guy, I'm more than fine with that, you know, take the upside obviously at that backfield and potentially, you know, if anything happened to Leonard Fournette, an older back with a ton of mileage on his tracks, you have an elite handcuff option with Rashad White that you can flip for value if you show pleased in the middle of the season. So either way, let's go on to these next guys, these eight to 10, or if you will, 11 honorable mentions, if we want to call them, I don't know the guys that yeah, like basically we talked about the guys that matter, right? The guys that you should yeah. be spending, um, you know, a top significant capital pick on in a rookie draft. These guys, you can pick in any which order. I really don't have any preference. This draft class specifically falls off heavily after like the first 18 to 20 players or so. So if you want to pick, you know, the guy that we talk about as like our 11th running back as your eighth running back, I'm not going to argue with you, but the first guy that we're going to talk about is Brian Robinson, who is the running back for the Washington football team. He was drafted in the third round. He was a solid player on film from a talent perspective, and he plays like a pro style running back, but his profile has so many warts on it. And with Gibson's history of injuries in recent years, I believe that the commanders drafted a capable backup ball carrier. I think that's what they wanted with this draft pick, but that's what he is to me. He's a backup. He's not, you know, Gibson's replacement. He's not you know, a guy that's going to threaten Gibson for, you know, half the touches or whatever. I don't think he's a a threat to Gibson at all as a primary ball carrier. To me, the re-signing of J.D. McKissick actually hurts Antonio Gibson more than the drafting of Brian Robinson, in my opinion. Robinson is a fine third-round pick. Again, pretty similar to what we saw from Juba Hubbard last year. He's Gibson's handcuff is the way I'm I'm viewing him. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect uh, comparison, if you will. A lot of people are going to be like, Oh, Brian Robinson drafted, uh, say goodbye, Antonio Gibson. Like, no, like, Jaden McKissick was a much more impactful signing. If Antonio Gibson is healthy, he is going to handle the majority of the running back carries. The main bull case for him, the main case as to why we were comfortable, especially last year, potentially this year, if McKissick wasn't back in taking this guy high in drafts, was due to a potential increase in the receiving role because obviously this guy was indeed a college wide receiver back in Memphis. He was a Memphis University wide receiver way back in the day. He didn't even play running back. So the fact that he's kind of been pigeonholed, if you will, into a two-down work role is kind of weird. But either way, as you mentioned, McKissick re-signing is much more of a detriment to Antonio Gibson. 
Brian Robinson, people might want to hype him up. People want to, might want to say, oh, yeah, they're moving on from Gibson. That's why they took B-Rob. I'm going to take the value now because when he's a starter, I'm going to profit. Like, no, he's a fine player. He's a fine complementary player. But if you have any more aspirations other than a, you know, six to 10 touch per week contingent back with potential upside as a handcuff if Gibson were to ever go down, then you're completely making a fugaz of yourself. Yeah, I think people are are overrating the Brian Robinson edition a little bit. And third round draft capital means something for sure. Of course. It, it's definitely not nothing. But Antonio Gibson's going to be up for his contract in a, in a few years too. So that also could be a contingency from their perspective as well. And they want to be, you know, a defensive running team. So it makes sense that they have a number of backs. And once Antonio Gibson went down, I mean, Jarrett Patterson stinks. Like they had Peyton Barber before that. Like they needed another running back. And NFL teams don't think like us, right? Like we draft a running back and we're like, oh, it's their replacement. No, like they're like, we need to have more than one ball carrier on our roster. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that. So overall, in terms of potential draft capital, you should invest in your rookie drafts. Like, don't spend anything more than, you know, a mid, mid-third, mid I would say. Like, yeah, yeah mid-third like, is probably about even, where I'm looking. Like, even early third seems rich to me because, I mean, a guy like Jalen Tolbert, a guy like Khalil Shakir, maybe one of the tight ends like Trey McBride is still Some there. The quarterbacks, and, too. Yeah, the quarterback. So I wouldn't take B-Rob over any of those guys. But once that board types of uh, – those type of players on the board dry up and you're talking about B Rob and some of the other running backs we're going to talk about here. You know, you get into the wide receiver range of like Tyquan Thornton and fucking I don't know, Felix Jones. Well, I would take, I would actually take Shakir over B Rob, but aside from that, after that, like, yeah, like it's a crap shoot. Just take the guy that at least has some type of insulation in case anything were to happen to Gibson. But either way, talk about situation insulation, if you will, uh, that actually rhymed uh, Tyrion Davis, Price running back from the San Francisco 49ers. And let's be honest. I mean, this guy's, I guess, you know, a fine physical type of player, but the main allures here are third round draft capital and San Francisco. And if San Francisco wasn't as notorious as they are for legitimately giving me or you carries, if we earn them, we wouldn't be saying this. Like if Tyron Davis price goes out there and he's a, a, a decent one B two uh, RB two type to obviously Elijah Mitchell's main workhorse type or starting running back type of role. Like, are we at all discounting, you know, a Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson type of role in this offense? I mean, they invested high draft capital into him. I think he's a better player right now than what Trey Sermon is. And I don't really think that's much of an argument. So if we're getting that type of opportunity to work behind Elijah Mitchell, it's worth, you know, a late three, early third round type of dart throw, if you will. Yeah, again, like, once this class, you get outside the top 20 players, like literally pick whoever you want. So if you love Davis Price and you think he's going to be the starter in San Francisco, by all means, take him, you know, 301, 302. I don't really care. Uh, it's not a great production profile for him, but he did. He was a good athlete. He's six foot, 218 pounds, ran a 448. Like Danny said, I think he's the Jeff Wilson role in this offense, and Elijah Mitchell is the Raheem Moster role in this yeah. offense. They're going to use multiple backs. They're San Francisco. They always have. And yeah. you know San Francisco and Elijah Mitchell specifically – have trouble staying healthy San Francisco back. So there's a good chance that he could have, you know, a couple weeks this season where he's the main back. And I'll tell you right now, um, I'm sure many of you are in, in terms of your actual dynasty uh, or your dynasty leagues right now are more in managed leagues, but this is like the perfect dynasty rookie draft best ball pick. Like if you were to get this guy, you know, late third, early fourth in your rookie best ball draft, like, I could see him having, you know, four or five spike weeks where he scores two touchdowns. I mean, fuck, we saw that about Jeff Wilson for like, what, the past three years? Like, he'll yeah, have Sam random spike running backs in basketball have always been a profitable strategy. 
Absolutely. And obviously, again, the contingent there, if Mitchell ever misses any time, I mean, we're talking about one of the most run-heavy teams in the entire NFL, along with one of the best-schemed run games we've seen in the NFL in quite some time with Kyle Shannon in that wide-zone scheme. So Davis Price could be a very, very sneaky value. Oh, sneaky value if we were talking about third, fourth-round dart throws. But I really like him compared to, you know, a Zamir White, a Pierre Strong, which we're going to talk about next. Yeah, there's a clearer path for him, for sure. Yeah, That's definitely absolutely. the allure of him. So uh, we both have a different 10. I'll talk about my 10. You can talk about yours. My 10 is actually Pierre Strong running back for the New England Patriots. He was drafted there in the fourth round. To me, the reason I have him at 10 is because he was just the best player. Uh, I had the highest grade pre-draft on him of the guys remaining. So I'll just bet on the ability at this point in the running back rankings. I think he's also a fine dart throw. Maybe him and Ramondre Stevenson come 2023 when Damian Harris is, is gone in free agency. Maybe it's him and Ramondre Stevenson in this backfield. And again, similar to San Francisco, New England running backs in a dynasty best ball too would also be a half-decent investment. Not a bad value accumulation piece as well, because if you're a rebuilding team and you have a bunch of third and fourth round picks, take a shot on Pierre Strong. There's a good chance that he could you know, rise in value from a mid to late third round or an early fourth round type of player where you get him now to you know you can get a 2023 early third round for him this time next year. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I understand it. And again, we are high on his talent. We think he's a good player. I mean, uh, flat out, I mean, he looked like a man amongst boys if you watched his actual tape. I mean, people are going to talk about that Fugazi playing level, if you will. But albeit, he looked very good, very, very efficient. And as we know, I mean, New England, similar to San Francisco, will play the running back that gives them the best results. Like, if Damon Harris fumbles or Ramondre Stevenson fumbles or Ramondre Stevenson has a bad game or makes a bad drop, like, they have no problem going to the next guy. And if we're talking about the next guy, like, yes, I very much prefer Pierre Strong to Kevin Harris. For those of you guys that are going to, you know, be that subsector on Twitter that hypes up Kevin Harris, the guy freaking stinks. And not only that, that, he's also the same archetype as Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. He's a big physical back. So at least with Pierre Strong, he wasn't a very productive receiver in college, but there's an outside chance he turns into the, the new, you know, James White role for Mac Jones as well. Maybe, yeah. I mean, he's a great athlete. And he's a bit smaller than those other guys. For sure. And uh, my my ten would be Zamir White again. This has nothing to do with his talent. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna give it keep it a buck right here. I don't think he's a very good player. I think as Graham kind of mentioned, those two knee injuries in college pretty much zapped a lot of his burst. But he's not a great prospect. But he did get fourth round draft capital, and he does have some long speed with four four speed. And the main alert here for me would be that opportunity with Jacobs having his fifth year option decline, making him a free agent after this year. There's a chance that Zamir White may be that early down work or not workhorse, but starting back role for the Raiders where, you know, maybe he gets 14 to 16 carries per game. And I think that's a bit more projectable than really any other running backs that I don't have in my top 10. Therefore, even though I don't like the player, He's going to get in my 10th spot, baby. It sucks. But at the running back position, we have to value that situation because even if we think somebody's marginally more talented than somebody else, if they never get the opportunity to show that talent, it's all a fugaz. At least at wide receiver, we know that the talent rises to the top, that cream rises to the top. At running back, it's, oh, player X versus player Y. Who's going to get more carries? Who's going to get more volume? I prefer the player that will do that. Right. And Zamir White is probably one Josh Jacobs injury too away from being, yeah. you know, the goal line back for what we expect to be a pretty good offense as well. So Absolutely. um definitely understand the draw there. Uh, a couple other guys that we're not going to talk about yet, but Keontae Ingram, complimentary back to 
James Conner in Arizona. Again, he's probably one injury away from being the primary ball carrier in Arizona. Replacement. Yeah, and potentially in his eventual replacement and also Chase Edmonds role because he did have uh, you know a good amount of receiving production. So those are some of the other guys at the end. Again, if you have any other running back, Kyron Williams, whoever that Go you like, it. just pick them. Like it's third, fourth round dark. Tyler Beatty, that we're talking about like... here. Tyler Beatty. Yeah, I really don't care at this point in the draft. Take whoever you want. So um, if you guys enjoyed this video, if you enjoyed our running back rankings, again, leave a like, comment any of your thoughts down below, comment down below, you know, which running back that you're targeting in your rookie drafts this upcoming May. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. And like I said, if you want our full rankings, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks for veterans, for rookies, bucketed rankings by tier, top 100s for super flex and one quarterback, all that stuff is included in our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto, which is available one of two ways, either via Patreon, which is linked down below in the description, patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange, or you can get it by signing up and depositing using promo code FSE on underdogfantasy.com. You'll get 100% on whatever you put in, and you'll also get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto for free as a thank you for using our code. So if that interests you, both link down below in the description. Peace out, guys. We'll talk to you soon.